0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Those two hours are the two hours where the person in the chair becomes the person that's going to be in front of the camera that day. It's not just about the physical act of doing the hair and the makeup. It's a mm-hmm. psychological act of becoming. <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome back to Beautiful Lives. Today, I'm joined by the legendary hairstylist Sam McKnight. Sam's career has taken him all over the world and seen him work with every noteworthy publication, transforming the most high-profile people going, including Princess Diana, with whom Sam worked for seven years, during which time he famously created that iconic shorter slip back do. In this episode, we talk about his journey from cleaning windows as a boy to being the most in-demand hairdresser in the business, his enduring love of gardening, including how the scents of said garden have influenced his hair by Sam McKnight range, and how his job is as much about being a grounding confidant as it is about doing the hair itself. Here's Sam. Growing up in Scotland in the 1960s, can you paint a picture of what that was like?
1: Um, it was it was I I lived in a council estate in the country. Mm -hmm. It was a mining community. So it and it was kinda it was really lovely, actually. Mm -hmm. It was I thought it was great. We were outside all the time, doors were never locked. And the council built a swimming pool in the village. So from the month of April till end of September we were in a swimming pool, basically, even if it was freezing cold, which Mm. it probably usually was. I mean, I still go there sometimes. My mum lives across the road and I still, I go there usually on Boxing Day, because it's open on Boxing it's outdoors. And um, I didn't go this year because I had a stinking cold, so I missed it this year, but it's um, it's still there. And it was for a a typical, typical, idyllic, council house, childhood.
2: So, what did you think you'd be when you grew up?
1: Oh, I had no idea. Okay. Okay. I had no idea.
2: I've got here, your dad was a miner. your mum worked in the Mm co-op, and you were training to become a teacher and working as a van driver and window cleaner when you sort of swerved into hairdressing. Well,
1: I, I had been cleaning windows since I was about 14.
2: For because money. we didn't
1: have any money. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, really no money. I mean, I wasn't aware that we were particularly poor. I just, everyone, we were the same as everyone else. So it was fine. And we were, we, my mum and dad were, so we were kind of all very well looked after. So it didn't feel like we were, we knew we didn't really, we knew we weren't rich, that's for sure. But it was no big deal. And, uh, but I knew I couldn't ask mum and dad for money extra money to buy anything or to do anything that i needed a bit of money for that when you were a teenager you then start to maybe buy the odd bit of clothing or something and uh i i don't know how i can't remember how it came about but i ended up cleaning windows walking around with a set of wooden ladder wood it wasn't they weren't aluminium ladders then they were wooden ladders mm-hmm. uh and a chamois leather and i cleaned windows upstairs and downstairs pocket money and then I went to teacher training college I was quite a brain box at school weirdly enough and I went to teacher's training college and hated every minute of it my friends owned a hairdressing salon a disco and a cafe all in one ish you know so in the same buildings but you know separate and um I I kind of I DJed for like twice, I think. I, did, I I I was a waiter for about a minute, and just to get just to get pocket money, you know. And uh, then I started helping in the hairdresser salon, and really, uh, really quite quickly, I got really bored with college. And and I think around that time in my mid-teens, David Bowie was happening. We grew up through that sixties sort of. British explosion and probably we all became aware of fashion then. We all became aware of looks anyway. Mm -hmm. But I think when David Bowie landed on the scene in Mark Bowling, the whole glam rock thing, uh, myself and my friends, we kind of adopted that or were inspired by that. Fashion's taken very seriously in Scotland, in the provinces. I mean, like it is all over UK. We're a very, very small country and things Mm -hmm. catch on very quickly. And I think we were kind of We'd come out of the sixties. It's hard looking in retrospective we We were just teenagers who were who were keen to stamp our own styles on 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 ourselves mm-hmm. you know and I think the hairdresser's salon seemed really glamorous to me. It was the first time I had kind of felt like I'd been part of something that that that's was perceived as being quite glamorous do, do you know what I mean yeah
2: you felt like you suddenly part of the sight, guys yeah, yeah yeah were you instantly very good at it um I
1: instantly kind of enjoyed it and thought oh this is kind of nice and it's nice to make people feel good and it's nice to be part of a sort of beauty um environment you know
2: so then you moved to London what was that like
1: Um, I moved to London and London, that was 1975. Mm. Now London was pretty bleak mainly. All the buildings were black and it was before there was money spent on cleaning up all the public buildings and uh, it was pretty bleak. We'd just come out of, we'd just had we, that mid-70s thing was quite depressed. You know, it was quite, it wasn't like it is now. Mm. And I mean, it was only 20 years after the war, wasn't it? 30 years after the war. It was, you know, it was, it was, it wasn't, the, the 80s hadn't happened. And um, I think there was a very small part of London that was really, truly glamorous. That was kind of, my friend worked at Bieber. She did the PR for Bieber.
2: Hmm.
1: And, you know, Bieber was amazing. I was like on the kind of centre of everything and the King's Road was amazing and there was a kind of there was a real buzz in the sort of fashion area of London and I remember I remember it's 75 and 76 I lived in Putney so I would get the 22 bus up the King's Road and I would sit upstairs and I, I saw from the upstairs of the 22 bus on my daily journey to Piccadilly Circus I saw the whole punk thing happen on the streets of the King's Road because I would just be driving up. I'd be there every day. And I watched the whole thing, the punk thing, happen. And um, that was kind of, that was just, in retrospect, an incredible experience.
2: Right. You're not the first person to have said that going up the King's Road during the pump, yeah. I think Meg Matthews came on and said right. the same thing. She was yeah. like, it was just an extraordinary no, thing it was extraordinary.
1: It yeah. It was really extraordinary.
2: And so that really imprinted itself in your yeah, mind. Yeah, it really yeah. did. So you're working at Malcolm Brown for a time. Yeah. You've referred to that as being somewhere that was sort of less constricted than, say, the Vidal Sassoon way of yes. doing hair. I'm wondering if that was something that instantly felt like a good fit.
1: Um... I suppose I, I I think because it just Molten Brown had a way of working that kind of embraced natural hair. That was kind of where I learned to probably to be to, to sort of to do hair that was touchable and not stiff and not sort of unnatural that so that kind of awakened my natural senses yeah and they were making all their own shampoos and conditioners it was all organic like this was 1975 so it was seven yeah. so it was way before anyone had thought because
2: i read that you said that you weren't even allowed to have meat in the staff room. no
1: no they had an organic um they had an organic no it's... what's the next level on from vegan like, uh
2: macrobiotic oh there we go yeah
1: uh, restaurant upstairs on the top floor. And we were not alone. And I would be sneaking out for a bacon sandwich every now and again. <laughs> yeah. Which was frowned upon.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. But very different than a very sort of progressive yeah. and new way to look at mm-hmm. things then. Mm-hmm. So you are working there when you landed your Vogue editorial shoot, first one in 1977. Mm-hmm. What was that like to walk into that environment? Terrifying.
1: Terrifying. But, you know, I still... I still, I bumped into the photographer the other day hmm. in New York, I who bumped into Eric Bowman, mm-hmm. and um, I think the editor was Mandy Clapperton, who I haven't seen for a long time, but I still see a lot of the people that I, I worked with
2: okay. back then. When you walked in on that first shoot, if you can remember, if it all went completely and utterly wrong, did you think, I'll just deal with it, I'll be fine? Did you have that inner, innate
1: confidence? Yeah, I think always. so. I think I've think i think I've always prepared to take a chance. Right. You know? yeah. Okay. Do you yeah.
2: remember what the look you did was?
1: Uh, yeah, I still have the picture. I think it's in my book. Um, it was a lingerie shoot. Mm-hmm. And it was it was very soft, pretty hair.
2: So you started to do shows. And shows at that point were a lot smaller, right? There were more for people in the industry and they weren't... For... They were
1: more... Yeah, I mean, there may be... <sighs> Sometimes there were eight or ten models in a show, you know. And, okay. And I might have one or two assistants.
2: So it was small, but you were doing that, and then you were also working on shoots and stuff. And then at some point you made the leap to leave. Yeah. And to go and just do those yeah. two. Yeah. Were you nervous about that? Because they weren't the beast they are now.
1: No, the, but no, they didn't really exist. It was very, very small, mm. and it was a risk. But it was time to it was time to move on anyway. I was probably, what, 20... Oh, 20... 25. Mm. Yeah, 25. And um I didn't want to be stuck in the salon anymore. I very well, once I'd done a few photo shoots, I thought yes, I'd like to try this a bit more.
2: What was it that lured you away? Was it the creative possibilities? Yeah. Right, because I guess everyone salon. Yeah, because in a salon, in the
1: salon it, it, it's listen, there's a, there's a whole different skill required to do 12 clients a day in the salon and someone like joel uh, uh, um, nicola clarks is incredible there's amazing people who do that mm-hmm. but i sort of realized that it's just not for me and i'm glad i made that decision and didn't continue being sort of miserable because i was pretty miserable there and the, the the owner of the salon wanted to stop us all from doing photo shoots because obviously we were doing photo shoots we weren't making money from the salon for ourselves mm-hmm. i got that and I, no i'm not going to do that i'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to continue trying this new thing called a session hairdresser. Mm-hmm. Because really, a few years before me, I mean, there were a few hairdressers before that, you know, like Leonard, John Frieda. The, but there weren't very many doing photo and they're all attached to salons. So, I mean, it's really in retrospect, you know, God, that really was a big risk I took. But I, the timing, of course, was perfect, and the, the, the business was just starting. Mm-hmm. And it was just starting to... Was beginning really and it was in a year or two had gained momentum and and very quickly became uh well the beginning is what it is now
2: now i want to talk to you a little bit about the party scene in london at that point because now I think from my experience of being on shoots, people, you know, everyone turns up exactly on time and everyone's very yeah. prepared and focused. But yeah. I know from talking to other people who've come on the podcast and reading around it that there was a time and it was all quite fun and people might be like, yeah. Should we go off and have some cocktails at lunch? And it yeah. wasn't quite as yeah. taken as seriously.
1: What was well, your... it was it wasn't really a strict business. It wasn't an industry. It was it was very um I mean, a lot of the time we were just making—not most of the time—we were just making it up as we go along, you know, because no one had done this before. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the, the the clients, the businesses weren't run how they are now. They, they were they were beginning. They were they were they were. Everyone was taking baby steps. No one was experienced because it was all new. And we were all making, I mean, somebody was saying the other day about references, people come, you get mood boards and references. I never heard of a mood board or a reference because we just did, oh, let's do this, that'll look great. Oh, yeah. And really kind of experimenting. It Mm -hmm. was all experimentation.
2: So were you driven by that rather than so you weren't looking to history and thinking, oh, look at Marie Antoinette's hair. I'll do no, something like that. It was much no. more. Just I mean, maybe
1: occasionally there'd be something like that, mm. but it really would be an inspiration. It wouldn't be a, a copycat.
2: OK. Anymore. And were you then were you enjoying London life at that point? Were you someone who was in the clubs and having oh, fun? Oh, I was in
1: the clubs every night. Were I think you? most of us were in clubs every night and mm. worked, worked during the day.
2: Yeah. Someone yeah. once Worked said. Work
1: hard, me, party hard.
2: There was a makeup artist around that time who once said to me, I think I turned up at one of the shoots with her own makeup bag and didn't have
1: her professional <laughs> bag and just did the makeup out. Oh, of I bag. would turn up for a shoot sometimes with with a comb, some hairspray, and a pin, you a know, mental. and be, because. I mean, I would turn up with a small doctor's kit with my bag in it because it... it that's all that was required then as the industry grew and clients' needs grew and. Thing, things changed you know things were, were evolving all the time
2: but if now you went to a shoot with just a comb a clip and yeah. some hairspray I bet you would be oh able I could to still it.
1: work yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. it's yeah. funny
2: how now the kit is taken so seriously
1: <coughs> well, that, that's the reason for that is because we all we, you kind of knew what you were doing before you do sort of a bit of this or a bit of that but now I mean it gets to a point somewhere you're expected to bring six suitcases because the, the, the client doesn't really know what they want okay. and you think well Mm. But, and if, if you don't bring the pink wig, that's the one they're going to want, so you turn up for every eventuality.
2: At that point, by your own admission, you were dressing quite exuberantly. Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell us about some of your more outlandish outfits and what made you decide to sort of hang up the tartan four piece?
1: Because
2: um, you're dressed very soberly today.
1: I am, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the age kicks in, doesn't it really? Yeah, the experimenting clothing goes. And I'm not as skinny as I used to be and clothes don't quite look the same. So you kind of just adapt. And mm-hmm. I mean, I had a lot of fun buying clothes in the 70s and 80s, really. Okay. I mean, that was my thing. And, and when I first started doing shows for some designers, you would get paid in clothes. You'd get a suit because they didn't have any money. Yeah. I sold everything at Kerry Taylor auctions last year mm-hmm. because I had nine wardrobe boxes of clothes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we would buy a new Gaultier jacket or something on a, on a Friday night to go mm-hmm. out on a Saturday. It was, it was that kind of thing. But it was mm-hmm. back in the day when they were expensive, they, but they were affordable. But now things are not... Things are, you know, things are £5,000 for, for for something. The, the, the only people who can afford them are, are Russian oligarchs. And... and um, gazillionaires you know it's 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 strange how it's it's gone like that because you know it's sort of um it's it's although fashion likes to think of itself as very democratic in fact it's become high fashion has become way more exclusive than it ever was before it's unaffordable now so i sold everything last year i had nine boxes and I caught a moth in one of the boxes and there was a hole in one of my Yoji coats from 1981. Mm. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get rid of everything. And we checked everything. Everything was fine. That, And I thought, let's, let's let this go. Mm. So we sold it and it and I gave the money to, I gave the money to some, one of, to Vivian's rainforest charity and heart, the other half to, because um, a lot of it was Vivian. And the other half went to Joe Jones's beauty banks
2: yeah,
1: because otherwise it was just taking up room and and the, i kept them and they were pristine mm-hmm. they were all kept in tissue paper and plastic and they were they were really well looked after some of them hardly ever worn and i thought it's time for them, for them to go and somebody else enjoy them
2: did you feel quite zen when that happened
1: yeah i really did but you know what There was a couple of things I that i wish i hadn't got rid of those mm-hmm. but you know i'm not yeah. gonna dwell on it it's yeah. fine yeah. it's okay
0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: You famously did Princess Diana's hair for seven years. Yes. Um, so in 1990, Patrick Demarchelier introduced you to Princess yeah. Diana on a Vogue shoot, and. You cut her hair short on that day. Yeah. Now, I was a little girl then, but I can still remember this emerging of the modern version of Princess Diana yeah. that you were so instrumental in creating. Yeah. With that haircut, how did that conversation go? Did you sort of go, hey, I've got an idea? No, no, no,
1: no, I would never do that. Okay. I'm not that kind of person. Um, I, we had just met mm-hmm. and spent a few hours in a studio in, in uh, Hackney... So we spent the day taking pictures and I spent the afternoon taking pictures with Patrick and she, we got along very well. She was great. She was really lovely and very funny and, and um, very easy. And uh, she, at the end of the day, when she was getting dressed to go home, she said, what would you do if I said, do anything you want? And I said, what I would do, I'd get rid of it all and start again. I'd kind of just, Cut it short. We had made it look short for the pictures, mm. shorter for the pictures, and she really liked it. She said, OK, do you want to do it now? And I said, yeah, yeah, fine. And to be honest, I wasn't really a royalist. I wasn't a fan. I wasn't really that aware of any of that. Mm. So I didn't think anything about it. I just did it, and off she went. And, did it. and then the, kind of the whole world just went insane really bizarrely you know but I'd gone to Paris I was in Paris I was still unaware of it and then I was getting phone calls saying, oh my god what have you done with it? Mm. anyway whatever um, that was the beginning of a very beautiful relationship Yeah,
2: sounds like it must have been quite surreal too though because I suppose when you're sitting I know this from sitting with people where you think you're so famous and you're so respected yeah. and people love you so much but then they're just a human
1: I yeah. think it helped that I wasn't really spending much time in this country I was, I was travelling the world and I was mainly in the States mm. and and I, I wasn't really aware of the, the the hysteria that went... I really wasn't. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I soon was. But hmm. before that, I wasn't, yeah.
2: OK. You also have a really close working relationship with Kate Mars and so many other huge names, like yeah. Kate Blanchett and Cara Delvine and Madonna. Yeah. How much of your job isn't just doing the hair, but also being a friend and sometimes offering counsel to people who are in your chair? Well,
1: that's, that's, that's a huge part of the job. That is a real... Um, I've oh, probably fifty percent of the job now well, I think what you do is with hair and makeup mm. we are there sometimes in someone's bathroom or often in a room you know a quarter the size of you know quarter the size of this with a yeah. table and a mirror if you're lucky and um, you see someone at six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning we're all raw at six o'clock in the morning, all of us you know we're Mm. pretty straight out of bed no frills not even a shower sometimes not time for that do do you know what I mean so you're pretty bare and I always think these days especially when when everyone wants to put cameras everywhere I refuse to have them in the dressing room because that's sacrosanct that's a place where people can unload if they want to they but there's no it's a place it's sacred it's private It's one of the last privacies. For those couple of hours, those two hours are the two hours where the person in the chair um, becomes the person that's going to be in front of the camera that day. Now, sometimes that's themselves and sometimes it's somebody very different and and that all depends. And that's almost two hours of... Um, no outside pressure. And I think that's really important. It's, that's really important in the preparation. It's not just about the physical act of doing the hair and the makeup, it's a mm-hmm. psychological act of becoming.
2: Completely.
1: Yeah. I mean, we always used to say about Kate, um, oh, can you get her ready in 45 minutes? No. That's not going to happen because it, it's, you know, it's an hour and a half, two hours of hair, makeup, nails, clothes fitting, and psychological preparation somebody can say to me look i really don't feel like this today mm. can we do the 20 minute version because i am I'm, I'm fine i don't need i don't need too much but i just don't want to be i don't want to be sitting in the chair for too long today and sometimes i'm saying oh, can you take 20 minutes longer i need a bit of chill today you know it's 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 all a psychological process
2: I wondered if there are any standout surreal experiences because you've done shoots all over the world for all different publications and I've seen the end results and some of them are spectacular. Have you had moments where you stood somewhere and gone, how is this my life?
1: Um, oh, kind of all the time, really, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I was on holiday a couple of weeks. I went to Mexico, came back from Mexico and went straight to Milan for a Fendi show then went they had two really big shoot days doing we did forty loops in one day for a very incredible project that's never been done before, and we were so excited about that. News to come soon and um, then I went to Switzerland on a job. then I went to Paris for a show and came back here and you you constantly think this is kind of amazing you know, it really is amazing and then you're really grateful of three days at home
2: yeah
1: so i think it's the old old cliche of appreciating every moment i mean sometimes you think oh god another plane Mm. but that's a thought that lasts a second because it's all pretty great
2: now you do a lot of looking after other people and as you said making sure people are happy and you give a lot of yourself how do you look after yourself when you're going on planes the whole time do you have like any well being aids or any rituals or anything you do that helps you to stay relaxed and grounded and healthy
1: um, I, well, I came to see you today. I drive past your house all the time mm. because I do Pilates around a corner and i do i train in the park around the other way. I do something pretty much every day i mean i do in the morning I do a little um, sort of yoga, Pilates, stretches for half an hour, and um, I, I take care of myself. What yeah.
2: time do you get up in the morning then? If you're, if this you're morning, up? I
1: got up at six.
2: Ooh, okay, and are you, do you go to bed early? Are you quite good I go
1: that? to bed early, yeah. Okay,
2: what um, time do you call early?
1: Um, oh, in the winter, I'm, I could easily be in bed at nine o'clock. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've always got a book on the go.
2: Okay, what are you
1: reading at the moment? At the moment, I'm reading a biography about Elaine Stritch, who Isn't was it? a uh, stage and screen actress who died a few years ago in her, in her 90s. So she's probably from the 40s, I guess, yeah. Okay.
2: I just read about um, Mary Pickford. Do you know about her, The Girl with the Curls?
1: I know I know the name. Yeah. I just read a big Marlena Dietrich autobiographer that Carl Argerfeld had recommended to me. Um, like about three or four years ago and I bought it and it was such a big book I mm-hmm. never got around to it but I, I read it um, the end of last year and it was kind of amazing I, just, I like her biography
2: oh yeah you should read the most good yeah. one it's interesting about her hair as well because it was so tied up with her image of being a young girl and when right. she cut it she, her career was completely damaged wow that's amazing yeah, really that. interesting So, 2016, Somerset House launched Hair by Sam McKnight, an exhibition celebrating your career. Some of the hairstyles on display could only be described as proper, proper creations. Right. Where does your inspiration come from, given that nobody's pushed the boundaries as far as you have? So where do you go now? How do you you move on? Uh, We're constantly moving on. I've
1: been doing a very, very interesting project, which I can't really talk about, Mm. Um, which is going to come to fruition in a couple of months, which was great, it was very, very, very forward thinking. Um, there's always something, there's always amazing people to work with. You know, I spent the last 11 years, 10 years working with Carl. Mm. I still work with Vivian to this day. I get to work with, we just did a great shoot for Edward's Vogue. And, you know, I, I've worked for Vogue for, for 40 years, something mm-hmm. like that. So, I get to work with amazing photographers like Nick Knight. It there's constant inspiration all around you all the time. So you kind of you're sort of feeding off each other and you get to bring your little ten cents worth to it, you know, and, and brilliant makeup artists like Val Garland and and um like Charlotte and all, all the all the guys all the team—it's—it's yeah. it's about a collaboration. You I'd know? imagine
2: most mood boards now they feature some of the hair you've done over the years. It must be hard they to do. get away
1: from your they own work. Do, do. <laughs> yeah.
2: So outside of hair, you're a big fan of gardening. Why are you so taken with gardening?
1: Um, I used to—I used to live near Regents Park, and I would in the summer go if you know if, if I had an early evening, five, six, seven o'clock, lovely summer evening. I'd rent. I'd just get up couple pound deck chair in regents park and read in the rose garden and then i started thinking you know I wonder because i lived in a flat a great top floor flat which was fantastic but no outdoor space and i thought i wonder what it'd be like to have a garden so i started to look around here for a garden it was way too expensive and found one a bit further and up, then i ended up finding this house with this huge garden but the house needed a lot of work so i took on the project and I'm so glad I did because I've ended up with this really incredible garden that I have worked on with a friend of mine. I met a lovely lady called Jo Thompson, who is a great garden designer. And Jo and I kind of worked on this project and I've found it absolutely um Inspiring.
2: Is it something you look forward to going home to do? Oh,
1: I, I look forward to, I get up in the morning, it's the first thing I do, I'm, I'm out looking, I'm looking now to see seeing if the daffodils are up, yet yeah, and, you know, that kind of thing. What are your
2: favourite flowers?
1: Um, I love peonies in the spring, but they're sh- so short-lived, uh, but I think probably my favourite are the roses and the dahlias.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So you like English?
1: Yeah, yeah English I do. Flowers.
2: So, talking about flowers quite neatly brings us to your brand, because when you launched Hair by Sam McKnight in 2017, you placed quite a lot of importance on both performance and the scent. So, can mm. you tell us about the genesis of the
1: product? Well, these are the first of, of many to come. Um, why we did these ones is because it was important for me uh, for the products to, be, to have the latest technology. But it was also important for me to... to Embrace a bit of nature as well, and, and I, I found that the smells of products could be really sort of cloying or chemical and, and too fruity or too, too, too. A lot of products smell too sharp to work with all day, you know. So, we worked with Lynn Harris. And Lynn came and spent a couple of afternoons in my garden and she came back with a few fragrances for me, and she did some really beautiful ones. So we chose this one because it has sort of woody garden in the rain kind of elements to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we did four texturizing sprays, really. There's there's the, the dry shampoo and the hairspray and the, the easy updo and the cool girl. They're all variants on... Um, instant performance for the various levels and various different things they do, but they all are stuff that we needed to work backstage at shows because I was finding a lot of products that were coming out were very very heavy so Once we had sprayed them in it was really hard to get them out of the next show so we developed things that were light and I keep using this word, brush-outable, but they were very easily brush-outable because mm-hmm. that, that was really important for me nowadays with people changing their hair all the time. That it was. I, I think people don't want their hair to feel like there's a load of product in it, and that's what we did with these. We did very light formulations, mm-hmm. easy, and they're easy to use in an instant. Mm-hmm. And we're obviously going to launch products at shows, so there's no point in launching a shampoo at a show because we don't really use it. Mm-hmm. Well, not visibly, and uh, we thought let's let's do these, and then we can be demonstrating all the time, and it's been a big success.
2: Yeah, Cool Girl is one of my absolute favourite products. Yeah, ever, and I yeah. think that's probably what most people.
0: I want think it is. Yeah, now, it's re- think, it's
1: yeah. resonated with a lot of people. And what I'm getting mm. is, I was at an award ceremony the other night, and this lady in her probably her late seventies with thinning hair. Came up to you and said, "I just want to tell you that your cocoa girl is the only thing that's made my hair feel thick that ever that I've used." And I wasn't expecting it to have that effect, you know.
2: Mm. There's people coming up to you and saying things like that who use it in real life. That yeah. must be quite. No, it was brilliant.
1: great. It was really lovely.
2: I was also going to ask you about Easy Updo. Now, with that, would you recommend putting it up? Because I think for people who don't put their hair up very often,
0: yeah,
2: it might. They might wonder how exactly you can because it's a great idea to help give the hair mm. grip and mm. to help mm. it stick in. Mm-hmm. But are you putting that on before you clip or are you putting it on after? How do you? Before, okay.
1: It'll change the te- if you if you just go through your hair with it, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, section by section. It's really good for backcombing as well. It'll hold back home because it'll give you enough because it's it's for it's for your hair and that day after you've washed it or the day you've washed it and you can't do a thing with it because it's too slippery it will give it some grit make it more sandpaper like Mm -hmm. so that pins will stay in it it won't if you're doing a braid it won't just slip out it it will hold it it just gives it that grip
2: if i ask you what your favorite hair products to use are assuming those four are in there what other things do you rely on
1: i do love i'd love a moroccan oil cream Mm -hmm. i love there's Japanese brand called, oh god, what's it called? Magic Move. It's called Magic Move, and they do three different clays and pomades and of different levels, and I use those for different things.
2: What do you recommend when people say they've got really damaged hair? Is there anything where you're like, this is this is just the magic thing that will help your hair to live again?
1: I always recommend Kerastase to people. I just I just think Kerastase do great masks yes. and things, and I mean it's it's. It's a, it's a great brand, and most things you buy from there will work.
2: People come up to you now, I would assume, every now and then, and ask for hair advice, right? What is the overarching thing that you're finding people ask for? Is it just how to make their hair look like their own hair, but better? Or people asking more about particular styles?
1: Um, I think people are more interested in haircuts nowadays. I think people are interested in, in, in having a, a haircut that isn't boring, but that isn't too limiting at the same time, that can be some kind of... that can be versatile, that they can do different things with.
2: There's been this proliferation of people having like this kind of length hair at the moment, so like long bobs. Yeah. Do you think that's just to serve that purpose then?
1: I think a lot of people had that sort of very, very long middle-parted one-length hair for a long time, and I think that's just... Overkill on that. Mm. I think people are looking for something else now because your hair must be great if you put it up and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think I think a little bit shorter, a few more layers, a bit of shape in it works. When you just wash it and leave it too.
2: Some of your the images that stand out the most in my mind that you've created that you've worked on the hair for are what I would call cool girl hair, right? Like that big kind of Kate Mossy mane. Yeah. Is the trick to that just lots of cool girl, lots of finger ruffling, or is there anything else you should do?
1: I think you probably need to maybe go over the curling iron or something first, just to sort of smooth it out a little bit. Kind of do it, then undo it.
2: Right. Okay, so it's almost like you put the curls in and then you pull them
1: out. Uh, just a way, just very, very lightly, or mm. blow dry, and you just you, you kind of do it, then undo it. Although a girl will work just on raw hair too; it'll give it a, a bit of um, a bit of texture.
2: So you work on—is it sixteen shows a season? Depends Approximately Yeah Yeah. Long hours A lot going on Yeah I know you said you exercise But I'm wondering about eating and stuff Do you have anything that supports you? No Wow No
1: (laughs) Okay A couple couple of years ago I started to cut down on my sugar intake I mean I cut down about 80% And lost about 20 pounds in a few months but I've kind of evened that out a bit and I still do a little bit of sugar. Like free eat. sugars, like
2: chocolate and stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, I've really cut down on that. And mm. I've, I've, I've managed to keep about stone off. Um, I think I, I'm slowly learning that as you get older to eat less. So I'm quite happy to go all day without eating anything. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me, it doesn't faze me at all. It's not going to do me any harm either. So I might eat something in the morning mm. and then it's, it's fine, it's okay. okay. I've, I've, I've kind of got to the point where backstage like it shows if the food is really awful I just won't eat it rather than picking at it right. I don't prepare stuff and turn to wear it with me or anything like that I'll just wing it it's okay it's
2: very <laughs> right. so you've worked on countless Vogue covers you've won numerous lifetime achievement awards you've had an exhibition in your name a book about your creations you own a brand you're still one of the most in-demand hairdressers well if probably the most in-demand hairdresser out there is there anything left to achieve and anyone that you haven't worked with who you'd like
1: to work with? No, I don't, I don't really think like that. I don't think I would like to work with I, I, I wait till I'm asked and I'll say yes, I don't engineer things like that. I'm not mm-hmm. very good at that. I've been very excited working on the brand. It's giving me new things to do. and So the next phase of that is what really I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to.
2: I'm going to finish by asking you three questions I ask okay. all my guests. First one is, looking back, what would you consider to be the thing either in your career or personal life that's made you most proud?
1: Um, oh, God. I think probably I'm most proud of staying the course. And I, I get great satisfaction of... I mean, I went to a, a Bobby Brown... Um, chat the other night at Soho House. Now I've known Bobby since she was makeup artist. We both started at the same time in the eighties, and Bobby was there. Mary Groom was there. And Lucinda Chambers were there, and we all started out at the same time. And I'm still friends. I still work with these guys, and that gives me a great sense. I don't know, it's pride of just kind of staying the course and managing, managing to make a lot of really good long term friends.
0: Hmm.
1: That that that's that's a nice feeling.
2: If you could return to a younger Sam McKnight and offer him some advice, what would it be? And to what age would you return?
1: I wouldn't return to younger. I'm, lo- I'm loving being older. I'm this, this is just... I love old age.
2: Okay, and you're happy with the way you did it all. There's nothing <sighs> yeah, I don't think... End.
1: I don't know no regrets, really. I mean, I'd mm-hmm. probably maybe say, keep your mouth shut, and nobody's that interested in what you've got to say, you know.
2: And you can invite three people to a dinner party, living or dead. Who would you invite and why? Oh,
1: God. I would invite... Probably three of my closest friends because I travel so much I wouldn't get to see them.
2: And what kind of dinner party would you have? Are you quite a good host?
1: I I do quite a lot, actually. Yeah, I do. A nice Sunday roast Mm -hmm. um, outside in the patio with the birds singing. Perfect. Yeah.
2: Sounds lovely. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank
1: you.